0: All right, welcome, Inappropriate Earl (laughs) podcast listeners. Hot off the newest episode with a writer, three-time Emmy-nominated writer, Chandler Barbie. I've been talking to this man for a couple weeks now about coming on. He's someone who I started comedy with in the L.A. scene, which is filled with pit bulls and vipers and sexual predators and we are actually two of the good ones. Uh, But he moved uh, for reasons we'll get into. He's on the East Coast now, but he's really one of the funniest dudes I've ever met in 22 years of comedy. Uh, And you guys know who I've worked with. Please welcome the one, the only, the stupendous Mr. Rich Williams.
1: Thank you so much, Earl. I'm uh, nervous. I don't know how to behave. I've never done Zoom before. I spilled coffee on the shirt that I pressed. So I've been running around trying to get a new shirt. I panicked and started putting cover-up makeup on my white face. So I'm probably a mess right now. By the way, I was nominated for two Emmys. The the intro you gave the last guest was way better than mine, but I lost my Emmys.
0: But I live with that one, so I have to give her a better intro.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Also, when you describe the the stand-up scene and... uh, california and la you're like it's filled with filth and predators but we're two of the good ones like we're two good predators
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we know how to not get caught no i'm just kidding um well it's true it's like it's a rare uh combo of being funny and a non-predatory comic in los angeles i mean maybe it's the same in new york but like uh you stand out and like i said the 22 years of comedy or whatever it is I've done. I've done it for so long. I don't remember how long I've done it. Yeah. Um, That, you know, there's maybe 10 guys and, and girls that I respect both as a comic and as a human, you're one of them.
1: Well, I appreciate that. It's weird because being back in my hometown and the local comedy scene here, uh, a few, like the social justice warriors started coming into the scene and one that I helped—I didn't realize she was like this—but she took issue with the fact that I was dating a woman younger than myself. I'm 50 now, and I think she's 33 now. I'm like, first of all, in LA, I couldn't tell anybody's age. I can certainly tell if you were of age, but that's not even close to like using. Hey, I can get you stage time or get you on TV to hook up with a girl. I couldn't. My ego is either so big or so fragile that the idea any woman would hook up with me for any reason other than she adored me and wanted to, it like I couldn't get hard.
0: Well, I think there's a st- you know, listen, when I was 46, I dated a 19 year old. Uh, I got a lot of shit for that. Uh, and, you know, my one rule of dating is uh, hey, they got to be over 18. After yeah. that, it's fair game in terms of a relationship uh and my fiance is uh 24 years younger than me
2: uh yeah
0: i mean it's another conversation if you want to get into
1: age difference not really really, because that's kind of the history of human beings i don't know why like i i asked this girl i said are you okay with gay marriage are you okay with interracial dating why is an age difference that much of an issue for you and Turns out she used to call me daddy in text messages and stuff like that. I think there was some jealousy, even though she was married. Um, but she doesn't do comedy anymore, so I usually outlast them. <laughs> I know I've outlasted
0: uh, everyone. Uh, just I would say of the LA group I started with, and I'll say 98, 85 uh, percent of quit. You know, just it's a, you know it's a
1: tough business. I. I remember one time going into pure one imports and seeing somebody that I used to book on Luna park shows and I was, and they were working there and it was horrifying to me. Like I would have to move. This is what I immediately thought if, if it got that bad, I'd have to move out of the area. I couldn't let somebody see me selling water or working at Taco Bell.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, but you know, in LA comedy, as you know, you can't, there's not a lot of paid work. So. No. If you're not uh, past at the store, the improv or the laugh factory, and even if you are really, you're making twenty bucks a set, yeah uh now it's main true. room main room spots at the store like that's a nice check because you split the door with the comics, so it's that's maybe a three hundred dollars set, but you're lucky if you get maybe two of those a month, so, yeah. you
1: have to have never, a, a job i I was lucky because I got into writing. Pretty soon, I got hired for a website in 2000. I had moved there in the last week of July in '99. And so I just kept falling into writing jobs. Brian Keith Etheridge helped me get my first TV job on uh, the Best Day of Sport show, period. And so, yeah, I the, the only negative thing about all those writing gigs, I didn't have as much time to do stand up. Right. So my stand up suffered, but I was able to
0: live in an apartment well i mean brian keith hetheridge by the way is is one of those other 10 comics that i just oh thought, yeah uh one almost incredibly uh impossible to follow if you're doing stand-up like he he's was, so he,
1: funny yeah i'm sure he can't even do most of the jokes that i really loved because they're too controversial now but it, it's funny when you mention the comedy store I was like an improv comic. That was my home base, right? Because I was trying to deal with my depression by doing comedy. I didn't want to dive into the pits of hell at the comedy store to deal with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've often told this story on the pod, and I'll shorten it up. Uh, but my first uh, exposure to the comedy store was going there for potluck, which was dreadful in yeah. that time frame of late '90s, early 2000s, and Brody Stevens. Oh. Piece of course was hosting. Now I didn't know Brody, so now I look back at this story and it's funny to me. But back then, <clears throat> uh, everyone was bombing that day. Uh, my heart's pounding because I'm like, oh my god, this is this is LA comedy, and uh, this one kid in particular had bombed a little worse than everyone else. And Brody and his, you know, his way was like as the kid left the stage, and I can't do a good impression of him, but hey, where are you from, kid? And the kid really meekly was like, uh, La Jolla. Brody was like, well, that drive just got a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> the poor kid oh. ran out of the room crying, and I never saw him since uh, to this day. So I was like, wow, this is the comedy store. I'm not ready for this.
2: Uh, so I yeah,
0: Doing open mics and whatever.
2: Yeah,
1: and Brody probably didn't mean that in a bad way. Like he would have been the first to tell the kid, "No, you got to keep doing it. You got to, you know." It's funny because there's a couple things with Brody. Um, when Brody killed himself, I, I mean, it devastated. I literally fell to my knees, and I knew Brody right when I moved there, and I had a, for me, a very special relationship with him. And then when all the outpouring of grief and Sadness happened. It felt like a band that suddenly became popular. And I I was trying to like prove that no, no, no. I had a different relationship with Brody. Like I got him his first TV job doing warm-up. I uh tried to break him out of the UCLA psych ward. Like Brody and I were super close and I was protective of him. Um, so it was weird trying to deal with that, but also it's funny how I know you. You were like a Brody character to me
2: yeah I first was
1: there so i would see you i didn't really know you that well um if at all <clears throat> and i couldn't figure you out you were an enigma like brody was <laughs> so you always had the hockey jerseys on the glasses that were incredibly thick like nothing like you have on now they were <laughs> way thicker than i don't know if your glasses got lasik but um and then you had the long hair you looked like one of the triplets from slapshot right and i'm like is he doing this to fuck with people to see if they bring that up? <laughs> no. Or is this him? And then now, with your haircut, I was just watching your uh, podcast with um, Patton Oswald. God. I'm like, he's gone from looking like one of the triplets to a NASA scientist in the 50s.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, and, I, yeah.
1: It's funny. So you were always like a character to me. And then I think when we first got to know each other better was uh, when we both saw each other at the gay gym in Santa Monica or West Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh,
0: yeah. You can uh, learn a lot about yourself in that gym. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, it's funny. I, I mean, I, well, I mean, one quick story about that gym is I once saw two guys getting their ass eaten. In the, in the steam room. And uh, yes, I, know, I know. I'm a very liberal guy. Like I, I would say most of my yeah. friends are gay. Uh just because I live in West Hollywood you know why I live West Hollywood and uh I, I did too. Yeah, I mean I kind of went up to the front desk, not 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 to complain so much, but just go, hey man, just a heads up, some activity below deck. And the guy just looks at me and in a drier delivery than me was like, Hey bro you know what you were getting into when you signed up here? And I'm like, I I really didn't. (laughs) I didn't see ass-eating on the contract. Uh, (laughs) But uh, I I patterned myself after Brody. I didn't want to copy his style, but I was like, this guy is still to this day one of the maybe under five comics who could do well at the store. The Improv, Laugh Factory, The Ice House, even go to Hermosa, which is a cleaner club like he kills everything yeah. whereas i like i do best at the store and i do okay at the other clubs so
1: yeah well brody i think one of the things that really develops his style because when i first saw him i didn't like him and i thought he was similar to todd glass right but then i would see him doing warm-up for our show best damn sports show he would do like two hours of warm-up in front of a live audience <laughs> But the live audience was the same live audience for like five days in a row because it was a five day a week, two hour show. And so he couldn't do regular jokes. Right. So he started just asking them what high school they went to, and he would throw out all these facts about it. And he was the best audience warm up. He would get them hyped and then he would break all the rules on the show and take pictures with athletes and stuff. <laughs> But he was fearless. He did not care. You
0: no, know, I mean, and he and he never lost that. Like I don't know if you ever met the guy. They call his name was Kevin, but his I guess his Jesus. Stage Jesus. Man, yeah, Sunset Jesus, and uh, yeah, you know they had a little memorial for him at the West Hollywood Dog Park, uh, and uh, Brody started speaking, and he was like, "Yeah, I didn't even know Kevin was gay." and his parents didn't know he was gay. And so there you see his parents at a memorial go, oh my God, like like Brody basically wow. outed Kevin to his parents post-death. But it was just that he didn't do it to be funny, he didn't do it to stick. but it was just like the innocence of his uh, naivete, I guess, of Kevin's I guess he was in the closet. I mean, I don't know, uh, but Brody out. It's, of the it's funny
1: that it's, it's funny that it's less controversial. Now it's not, but, um, to be dressed up as Jesus 24 seven roaming sunset Boulevard, than not admit you're gay. <laughs> well, he would go to Compton
0: like that. Like I remember once I was getting my car fixed in Compton. Cause I had some aftermarket parts on it. Uh, Let's just say the Dodge dealership no longer wanted to service my vehicle uh, because there was very few Dodge <laughs> parts left. Uh, and I'm in Compton at like some Beverly Hills auto body on Florence and Normandy. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> and I see Sunset Jesus and I pull over and say, Hey, do you want to ride? Because he's walking in sandals. And he's like, No, I got it, bro. I'll see you at the store tonight. And it's just like,
2: uh, yeah. just
1: another store character. Yeah, I have a great Brody story. <clears throat> so he said, have you ever gone to the, one of those massage places in the valley? Oh, and I'm not going to do the, um, the the impression. I can do it pretty good. but um, And I said, yeah, I've been to him before. He goes, it, it's ridiculous. I go in and I forget exactly what it was. <laughs> he went in and. They gave him a massage, and then it was full service. But the girl had a bad attitude about it or something. And then when it came out, oh, it was a dispute over the bill. Because he thought it was $60 flat. Right. But it was $60 just for the massage.
0: You got to tip them.
1: Yeah. And the tip is like $100, something uh, like that. Depending on what so, you get. Yes, exactly. So he's... Uh, arguing with the manager there at some Korean spa. And he said, well, I don't have that money on me. I have to go to the ATM. And he just left. I go, Brody, you had somebody's penis, you had your penis in somebody's mouth and you just leave, you don't tip? He goes, shoe and screw.
0: I mean, there are many unwritten rules about those types of establishments. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's not like they're
0: gonna come chase you. Go,
1: hey man! I just sucked your dick. <laughs> I'm calling the cops.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: so, I mean, there, there's so many of those places around our neighborhood. Uh, they're all shutting down. You know, I don't think too many oh, guys, yeah. except the real desperate banditos, are going to rub and squirt places in COVID.
1: Oh, yeah. I went to one. There, there were some on, I think it was Santa Monica Boulevard or Melrose. There were like three in a row, and you have to go in the back. Right. And right next to it is like a, like a Von Dutch shop. It's It was bizarre. But they, you know how when you go to a coffee place, they give you those little cards where they stamp yeah. it, and the 10th one's free? I was up to six, and I'm like, I, I can't do this. Like, I can't. I mean, I don't want any record of this. And then I got a nickname there. I walked in, they go, Superman, because it takes me a long time to finish. Right. I'm like, I can't be known at a
2: brothel, basically. Well,
0: they hate that. You know, they want you to squirt in 30 seconds and get the next guy in there. So, uh, absolutely. I would say my all time worst uh, moment with massage parlors was there's three on Santa Monica in La Siena. got basically one on. Three of the four corners, and uh, you know, I picked up some behavior patterns in these places. Uh, when they talk a lot, they're cops and they're trying to bust you. So uh, I go to the first one, and she's very, very chatty, and she's not really going doing the uh, fingernails on the balls move to see if you're ready, because <laughs> that's their thing. They they you're on your <laughs> stomach, and they lightly accidentally hit your balls and go, oh I'm sorry. And then that's when yeah. it usually turn over. <laughs> they see if you arch your back. Right. <laughs> yes. Or your legs all of a sudden start spreading like a ballerina, giving them uh, a better access point. And so I got so paranoid, I thought, well <laughs> she's, she's a cop. I got so I rush my pants on. I run out of the place. I go to the second place, which is like 50 feet to the left. Same things, very chatty, not doing anything that would lead me to believe that this is a place where I'm gonna get jacked off. So I, I put my pants on. I it's a sting operation. So I finally finished at the third one. I built up such a load in my dong. I'm like, I don't care if I get arrested. I'm not even doing a bit. Like I, I just you know <laughs> I know, I know. When you're single, you don't have a girlfriend, and you just want to blow a load out. Uh, by the way, if my niece is listening, uh, I'll delete this part. Huh?
2: I'm just thinking of
1: the three people that are listening right now.
0: I know. Thank God we're not doing. We're,
1: we're two of the good ones, ladies. We're two of the good men in the comedy scene.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm. Uh, this damage is self-inflicted to us. It's not like we're uh, going yeah. to. Uh, I've never creeped on a girl in my life in comedy. It really... Yeah. Even before I started comedy, I'd throw it out there once, hey, you want to hang out? They'd say, no, it's okay, fine.
1: Yeah, exactly. I had one take advantage of me once um, because I was drunk. And I don't know if I could have consented, but I don't really feel like... It wasn't like... It's different when it's a guy. And I know people will have an issue with that but i feel like it is different if i'm erect and i'm semi-cognizant like i don't know if i would have done it if i was totally sober but i don't think that like she's a rapist or anything it's like, i mean you know i would say i was groomed oddly enough
0: by a a young no This it's gonna sound crazy you think what earl you were 46 yeah. at the time Uh, I would say I was groomed by several younger female comics uh, at that time because uh, I was the newest paid regular at the store. Uh, Roast Battle had just started kind of taking off and I was, you know, arguably the funniest part of that other than Brian Moses. So I don't think that was lost on these younger female comics of, oh, hey, if I start hanging out with Earl, I'll... Get in at the store or whatever, so it can' happen to guys too, not often, but
1: of course, and what what nobody seemed to want to cop to was that women use that there's the reason why there's the casting couch. I'm not saying any of it's right, and men should not be like men are usually the aggressors, but women play into it sometimes, and I don't think that somebody. Like, who's the one guy, I'm not even, Aziz Ansari, I'm not even really a fan of his, but a woman can just come out and say that basically she had a bad date and his career's over.
2: Like, what I read, she said that he ate her out and she didn't like that. Like, they went on a date.
0: it's with the he said, she said stuff, you know. If it's not a gang bang, there's no witnesses, so it it's it's hard to um and with all the recent ones, you know the me too and cancelled comics, you know Dalia Ross Callan. it's hard because it's in most of those cases it's he said she said from twenty plus years ago uh, you know, so it's like you have to look at i guess any external factors that point towards one side or the other
2: and Yeah, and I can't be canceled because I don't have anything going on, Um, but I'm
1: still very hesitant about how I talk about this because I know people misconstrue on purpose. Sure. And so I also, and I don't want to overdo this too much either. God, I fucking hate even thinking like this. I like when I was in college, I became student government president. And it was in Potsdam, New York, very snowy, icy. I started a late night drunk bus so that it would bring students to the bars and back to the two colleges in that town so that women wouldn't have to walk home alone was one of my big motivators. So they wouldn't have to put themselves at risk. I've outed people that were credibly accused, but the woman didn't have the same amount of, Believability or didn't want to come forward. I was going to beat the shit out of somebody at the comedy store who he he didn't like forcibly have sex with any girl, but he was a fucking asshole to them and tried to bully them into fucking that guy Tommy that was the manager. Wow. So yeah, your favorite guy. (laughs) So it's weird that I have to preface all. Of that, to just say, hey, there's two sides to every story. Women should be listened to. Accusers, I think, is a better. If you're accusing somebody, you should be taken seriously. But it doesn't mean the person is guilty either. Chris Hardwick is a good example. Oh, yeah. I mean, turns out he didn't do anything. It's, uh, and in
0: this day and age, one tweet gets retweeted by the right account and it, you know, it takes on a life of its own within an hour. Um, absolutely. So it, it's, I, I'm, you know, I always used to think in terms of like me too type stuff, what accuser would lie? I mean, who would lie about being raped, but mentally assaulted, which, you know, you can be beaten down mentally and not sexually assaulted or, or groomed, which is a little bit of both. And till I had an ex-girlfriend uh, you know, the breakup was bad. I mean, I guess no breakup is good. Um, but
1: <laughs>
0: you know You uh,
1: tried. See you later.
0: Hey, hey great job. Um, but uh she started telling people I threw her down a flight of stairs, which I I don't even have a side of a story. It's just no. It's yeah. Like, um so I, I do think in the in the big cases from a year or two ago, uh that the accused should be heard too. And then you make your own judgments. Who's telling the truth.
1: Right. And also things from 20 years ago should have been dealt with within at least a five-year time period. But I get, I mean, yeah, oh, absolutely. But I also,
0: you know, I get why if you're a female comic or, you know, there's, you know, I got me too or attempted me too by a gay casting director. And in my case, this guy was huge at Fox, like he was yeah. X Files, Millennium, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, ah, oh, this is just how the business is. And ironically, when uh, was Rose McGowan came out about Harvey Weinstein, I kind of rethunk the situation, rethunk, rethought. Uh, one of my shack, and uh, <laughs> you know that was like 2003, maybe, and I'm like, wow, that was kind of fucked up. what happened to me
2: yeah but uh,
1: again i think it is different for men versus women because um like there's always the case where you can go beat that dude's ass even though it could ruin your career and all that stuff like women are more vulnerable but this shit happens to men like i had a gay boss who used to talk he said one time in front of the cast like or the crew oh, what are you thinking about over there? Sucking my big fat cock? I was like, how did he guess right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I was like, it made me uncomfortable, but I was like, no, dude, I wasn't, that's not even on my radar. But then that was it. But there's like, there's different levels of things as well. And it seemed like during the height of Me Too, all that shit got thrown out. And then what really bothers me about it Is that the people that actually were doing the stuff? If they were Democrats, they had cover. Right. So the women that started or managed Time's Up, that offshoot, they were helping Andrew Cuomo. And so they all resigned because they got caught. So it's like, who's actually looking out for victims?
0: I mean, very few people, like, sadly. uh, it's just power. I mean, I remember when I kind of spoke out pretty loudly about uh, some statutory rapists in the L.A. comedy scene. I had a network executive take me to lunch and literally said, Earl, we appreciate what you're doing, <laughs> but it's not your fight. And I'm like, I know it's not my fight, but the people whose fight it is aren't capable at the moment. Like, I, I, you know, since I, I mean, I always, I, at least on the LA scene, I'm glad I thought it was like Papa Bear because I've been doing it for a thousand years. And right, I've never been creepy with women. So I think I get young female comics all the time asking me about, Hey, is this Booker legit? Is this, this happened to me, Earl? Oh, what do I do? Uh, so I was just blown away that a network executive would be like, Hey, stop speaking out about sexual assault.
1: Okay yeah stop speaking out about statutory rape like what which i i mean that
0: bothers me the most just i mean rape is horrible in any condition but like to me statutory rape is you're not only physically invading their body but you're also mentally taking advantage of someone who's not capable at that time of going oh this is wrong i shouldn't be having sex with this older comic or executive, whoever it is. It was a comic. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm
1: kidding.
0: I, no, I mean, I it's, it's just like, it, you. I, I feel bad laughing, but it's so absurd that, you know, the, the self-defense of some of these people is, well, Earl, you dated a 19-year-old. Well, well yeah. <laughs> the, my Yeah, well, your fiance is 24 years younger than you. Well, yeah, but both are legal. Like,
1: yeah. As if they can't, see, that's the whole thing. They're not arguing logically. They're just trying to shut you up. And so when things like that happen, somebody that we both know was credibly accused of having a secret sexual relationship and romantic relationship with a 15-year-old. Who, maybe she didn't look 15, but that's irrelevant. um, Because they make
2: money for these other people that are in power. They want it silenced. Yeah, I mean, so it it it
1: does make me say, yeah, we really do have to listen to victims like women do get fucking shoved under the rug and have it brushed away. I understand why they don't come forward.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was like, like I said, in my case, I just I mean, the guy whipped out his balls and he's like, hey, Earl, I ran a marathon this weekend uh, there. My testicles are bruised you know he brought me on. it's crazy it sounds like i'm a bit running on you and no 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 no. no. I, I know but to show you how predatory this guy was his whole angle of getting me into that office was he had seen me at an open mic in beverly hills and i i was horrible back then i mean i was brutal yeah i think i did i remember one of the jokes i did in front of him was hey liberace's biography it's called how to find Uranus. and it's just <laughs> like awful probably a stolen joke but i didn't know any better at the time
1: why would you steal it
0: because I, you know, I was an idiot dude. i had two minutes of material and after this was at a bar in beverly hills called indochine which was like a ritzy <laughs> restaurant yeah. and michael collier who's a pretty famous black comic he was in the tony robbins commercial you know because he's this I know is. so i said to him, hey man how did i do and he just i was so naive back then and he looked at me and goes Well, um, I've never booked a Skakel before. (laughs) No feedback. That was it. Um.
1: No, I think that was one of the first gigs I did when I I went out to L.A. I did stand up at the Porno Awards. And then I spent five days out in L.A. And Judy Marmel booked me for a place that was in Beverly Hills. And I think it was Indochine. And it was like a bar restaurant that was long right door yeah that's it and i met femka jensen that night oh wow oh my god i met a bond girl and i think i have a shot with her like hollywood was such a crazy concept to me back then well but this guy's angle was hey you're
0: really funny uh do you want to meet Brittany murphy because i think i did a clueless joke or something and uh So I go down to his office and after he whips out his balls, I was like, hey, man, where's Brittany Murphy? And uh, sure <laughs> <laughs> enough, she was next door at the I think it was the first table read for King of the Hill. So uh, I walked in and there's Mike Judge, and uh, you know, all these famous voiceover actors. And yeah. I remember them looking at me and this guy. And now I look back and go, oh, they probably thought I was his boyfriend. Like, cause he was in like his pajamas. He was real eccentric. Uh... <laughs> and I met Brittany. Murphy. Were his balls bruised? Were they bruised? Uh, they were uh, after I got done with him, But, uh, no. <laughs> but See, that's
1: the other thing. A lot of people outside of comedy and even people that are newer to comedy that got into it for social justice reasons, there's no bar of entry. You could just say you're a comic. And go to an open mic or run a show. They don't understand how comics talk with each other. Like, obviously, everything we're talking about is horrible. Oh, yeah. But we're making light of it because that's what we do. Like, that's why I enjoy talking with comics. I make fun of my parents dying. Yeah, me too. When I was eight. You know what I mean? It's like we're bringing levity as a way to cope with things. It's gallows humor. I mean, you. I, how could you laugh at this? Right? because like, what else am I going to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I lost my parents two months apart. Obviously, nothing funny about that. But uh, you know,
1: well, if it was in a mall, yeah.
0: Well, no, it was at this guy's house <laughs> from Fox. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I do tell jokes about it to this day. Uh, just that the. the you know, when people die, you go to the funeral home to buy the casket and all that stuff. And the way they were trying to sell the caskets to us was like a car. We're like, you're like, oh, it's got lots of headroom. Your mom will be comfortable and it's got the lure. It's like, what? Like, she's going to shrink by the month. I don't think she cares about the headroom. Uh,
1: Put some miracle Grow in there. <laughs> but then two months later, when my dad died,
0: he's doing the same spiel. Like, it was just on autopilot. Uh, yeah. So yeah, this is how comics talk. I mean, uh, but it, I think it, it's. And while we're people watching this later, they're laughing about this stuff, and we're laughing right. at the absurdity, like you said.
1: Yeah, I got the whole pressure sales pitch. I I had three dogs die this year. All two there. from cancer within a month and a half of each other my sweetheart that i uh i brought two of them from la and then i adopted one here for my cousin brother as i call him. and then i took his other dog which is a crazy chihuahua he accidentally got hit by a car he snuck out when i was on the yard with the other with these other dogs anyways so the first one
2: um they want to sell you the ashes back and like i did
1: it for my first dog Cause I was really emotional. And then I realized like when I got at home, it's in this tin and there's a paw print and a candle and all this stuff. It was very nice. And I'm like, I don't want to have just tons of urns around for my dead dogs reminding me, like, I don't go to the cemetery to visit my family. And my entire immediate family died when I was pretty young. So I'm bringing the dog in. They're like, okay, we're going to put him down. What kind of package would you like? I said, I don't want one of those. They said, you don't want his ash? Like, they were trying to guilt me into it. And I said, no, my dog's a Buddhist. Buddhist. (laughs) And they didn't know how to react. They go, all right. So you just want it mixed in with all the other dogs? I go, yeah. That's what he asked for. That was his dying wish.
0: (laughs) Yeah, with dogs, I mean, we just lost a German Shepherd I know. Uh, I saw that. I, but it was the sweetest. I've never had a dog die like this. Usually, you know, I have to take them in. I realize it's time. I was watching the World Series. Chandler was upstairs sleeping. And uh, the dog got off the couch, kissed my hand, and went to her favorite spot at the bottom of the stairs. Because there's an area big enough for a shepherd to and maybe five minutes later I went up to walk her and she was just, you know, she was gone. She didn't yell, she didn't crash down to the ground. I i mean, i it sounds so gay to say this. I think she said goodbye to me and then checked out. Uh, but uh, luckily we got her through this place called the LaBelle Foundation, which pays for everything. Um, so uh, they what they gave us, her ashes, It looks like the headstone for Ronnie Dio. Like it's it's a massive box, uh, a framed (laughs) picture of her nose print, like an Olympic medal type, the medal with her paw print on it. I mean, shout out to the LaBelle Foundation because it does not skimp on Annie's final presentation. They got Uh, you an NFT. Yeah, I mean, she's got a crypto coin named after her. Uh, you can talk to Barry Katz; he'll sell it to you for ten million dollars. Uh, but unlike you, I I have stop. Yeah, I don't know. I love but that's my favorite episode of this podcast, other than the Tommy episode. Um, and I did two episodes with Tommy. Second one was like Rocky too, good but not. Uh, yeah. But, but that Barry Katz on my couch for two hours was because I don't,
1: I haven't heard that. I I listened to the Tommy one, but not the Barry Katz one. And I'm horrible at promoting my
0: podcast saying, Hey, listen to this, listen to that. Uh, I'm just uncomfortable, yeah. which is why it's probably 10,000 on the charts. Uh, it, it's, I always say the first Tommy episode, any comic should listen to that. Uh, And it certainly wasn't for what I said. It was two hours of him rambling like the ultimate warrior. Uh, But the Barry Katz one was interesting because I was still really pissed off about how I was treated on roast battle. And he was like, let's talk about it. And he gave me, I guess, the comedy central Jeff Ross side of it. And I gave him my side of it. And it was, it's a fascinating, you know, uh, conversation or two completely it's like having a democrat and a republican talk about politics it was uh, fascinating but i also had like three big name comics say don't release the episode he ripped me off he ripped my friend off and i'm like i have to it's too good
2: yeah didn't he work with
1: you for a bit very so i came in uh second in one of those aspen comics Comedy festival tryouts where they had them in different cities. I was in Kansas city, a hundred comics were there pro comics, like would drive in. So I'm like, I'm going to move to LA. So when I was there for five days before um, I did Indochine and I got a guest set at uh, the improv. Somebody from Buena Vista development saw me and like wanted to have a meeting with me and everything. So I started calling, I was on the back on the road. I started calling all these managers from that America comedy book catalog right. I don't know if you remember that, but I do. Barry was the first, Barry was one of the few and definitely the first to call me back. And so I always had a weird relationship with him. He got me hired as the audience warm up for last comic standing. So I did that for, I think six or seven seasons. I got fired a couple times. One, both times I had no idea why, but they brought me back because nobody else wanted to do it or couldn't do it. Well, I don't remember what the problem was, but one time was they had the roast where Ralphie may walked off. Yeah. And I had written a joke or some jokes for aunt and Gary Gullman. I, Cause I was really good at writing roast jokes. Right. And they said that it violated some policy that I wasn't even aware of. Like I said, look, I'm not going to lose a gig over $50 jokes. Right. But so he got me that and he never would manage me, though. I had a meeting with him and then we pitched a show together that Oscar De La Hoya stole on his own. It was me, Jim Lampley, uh, a couple of my buddies and George Foreman was involved. And then De La Hoya just took it. And Mary's like, you can't sue. You'll be known as the sue guy. Like you're always suing people. (laughs) But the thing that was funny with me, with Barry, was that uh, I remember I bought a used convertible Mercedes, but it looks sharp, like beautiful rims. And I was pulling up to some warm-up gig that I was doing that he was involved in, and I made it a point for him to see me opening the trunk of the car, <laughs> So he would know it was my car. He saw it. And he goes, hey, you look like you're doing pretty good. We should beat up sometime. You're really funny. Like, all of a sudden, my status elevated because of car that only cost $17,000, but it looked really nice. Right. And so I love him for that as well. So that's the weird thing. Like, he's another character that had a part in my life, but I never was wrapped by Barry.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, he is... Uh... Like he's like Jerry Maguire meets uh Kurt Russell and used cars, like, yeah, yeah, you know, just you like, is this guy really this way or is this an actor? Like, this you're he's like right out of central casting for like sleazy age, yeah. uh, um, and he
1: looks like um Dirk Nowitzki,
0: which yeah, maybe laugh. Uh, and then like, I never had someone do this. He calls me about two hours before the podcast. He was coming over to my house and, uh, he talked the whole two hours. And I'm like, Barry, I don't like to talk to someone before the podcast. I want it to be like you and I right now, we're just flowing and going in different directions and he's like, Earl, I'm interviewing you right now. And I'm like, but Barry, by the time you get over here, I I don't know what I'm going to say to you, like, we'll be burnt out and, uh, But, you know, we basically talked for four straight hours uh, and he could have talked for another four. Um, But, you know, yeah, he's an iconic figure in the management circles of, you know, Chappelle, Dane Cook uh, in their prime. Or I guess you could say Chappelle's in his prime now, but like certainly Dane Cook, you know, last
2: comic standard. Yeah, he. uh, He was always the way he spoke was so weird. Or so
1: unusual that it was very unsettling to me. I felt like I was in front of a principal. Yeah. Why do you want to do that? What? Tell me what your vision is. But it was like, such a, I don't know how to do it justice, but it was like, oh my God, this motherfucker is making me think about shit I just want. I want to get an opportunity. That's what I want. Like, I want to make I don't money, a cart into it.
0: Well, he was very like, uh, you know, like probably my favorite part of the interview was like, uh, he kept saying, "Well, Earl, you were so good; you made Comedy Central and Jeff use you." And I'm like, "But I helped create the show. Like, why am I being forced to force myself upon a show that like I kind of helped not create, but helped create what it became?" Um, right. And I'm so like, "You got cut out of that." no i was uh this sounds silly because you know roast Bell, i'm I'm not acting like i'm don johnson season three of miami Vice, where i walked away but you know it it made a lot of people money that show for a smaller show i i was just fucked with the whole time by giving uh by being given the toughest battles and you know like everyone else got warm-up battles i go right into like you know a comedy central staff writer who clearly they wanted to win i was like why am i getting this guy like huh and then i get jimmy carr and, and tom ballard who's this amazing uh, australian comic who had beaten jimmy in the warm-up season so i'm like where's my warm-up battle like i helped yeah start this fucking show uh and I'm like, Barry, just bottom line this for me. If, say you're my manager, what would have happened? And then you could see something click in his head of his business sense. He's like, well, you would have gotten on all three seasons, Earl. You would have gotten battles that made you look good. You would have gotten on every panel show on Comedy Central, like uh, At Midnight, and, uh, Chris Hardwick, or that it was Chris Hardwick's show, uh, Drunk History, any show that had a panel on it. On Comedy Central, you would have been on it, and so I was like, "Well, that's why I'm so angry, Barry." <laughs> uh, so it was, yeah. it was fascinating for me to hear that. <laughs> Absolutely, was he involved in roast battle? No, he was not. I just, um you know, I was still this, and I'm still bothered by it, as you could probably tell. But like I three don't years, blame ago, you, dude. Well, you know. I think, and I'm sure you got fucked over on shows. I think only if you've been fucked over on a show, do you get how I feel?
1: A hundred percent. Because I think. Here's a small example, a small example. So Chelsea Lately, I know Chelsea from when I first moved there and she first moved there to LA. And I used to bust her balls. I used to give her jokes. And that happened with a lot of comics. I, would, I also helped a lot of comics. I gave people their first TV spots doing sketches on best name sports show because I knew they needed to build their reel. Oh. And I didn't, I didn't want to use like big name people. They had enough shit. So uh, Chelsea wanted me to write for the show prior to Chelsea lately, but she was trying to be a big shot. She's like, email me and this and that. I'm like, I'm not dealing with your assistant. Like I'll see you at the improv. I'm not like, you know who I am. You know what I do. You, you know, I'm good. That's why you want me. And then she did it again with the email. I'm like, no, I'm not interested. So Chelsea lately starts. I'm on the very first episode straight out of the gate. And there's talks with me. Hey, we might want to have you on as a regular. So I go there and they give you the topics ahead of time and the rock of love. Is that the show with Brett Michaels?
2: <laughs> yes.
1: So that was one of the topics. And, um, I was hyped up to like be outrageous. So China was the wrestler. China was one of the guests right. and I was actually friends with her or we friendly. Like we knew each other. I had put her in a sketch before. And so I go on, and before we get to the Brett Michaels thing, I'm like, hey, I just want to thank you, China, because her porn tape had just come out. I'm like, from now on, I'm going to call you the China. And like little things like that. And so then we get to the Brett Michaels thing, and she, Chelsea throws it to me. And I say, before we even talk about the show, who does he think he's kidding with that bandana over a wig? Like he's got a full head of long hair. Like, dude, it's okay to be bald, yeah. but you're not hitting anybody. So we finish that segment. Then they go, "Okay, that was great, everybody." There's a live audience. Brody was doing an audience warm-up. They go, "We're gonna retape it. It's the first time we've ever done this, so we want to get another take and make sure it's good. You know, work all the kinks out." Chelsea introduces that topic by saying, "Who does Brett Michaels think he's fooling with that bandana over a wig?" And I look at her, then I look at the audience and they're laughing. Then I look at the people in charge. And I'm like, I just fucking said this three minutes ago. And I didn't say that. I was just in awe. I'm like, she she lifted a bit to use as the intro. And now I'm left with any nothing. So after I did that, I said, fuck this show. I'm never I'm boycotting you. And how many comics went on there were regulars and kissed her ass and put have and became stars and did the road and all that stuff. I'm like, no, fuck that. So they booked me to be on one other time, like two years later or a year later, I was running a comedy website, funny or die sister site with all the blue collar comics. And so I'm like, all right, I'll do it to promote this website. The day before they said, we can't promote a website. I like, are you what? They're like, yeah, in case it has like nudity. I'm like, it doesn't it's a it's the blue collar guys so i canceled last minute and i fucking hate chelsea handler because of what she did to brody i'll never forgive her when he died she didn't even tweet when he had her on his show enjoy it um she treated him like a piece of shit and he wasn't a piece of shit so fuck her like she's the one person i don't mind saying out loud i don't like bad-mouthing comics but fuck her
0: yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I, I didn't like uh, like uh, enjoy it just because I thought it was taking advantage of Brody. Uh, you know, hey, let's watch this guy have a mental breakdown, and you know, yeah, it's yeah. like same same thing. Like I didn't watch, I didn't, I didn't like the Osbournes on MTV. It was like yeah. Ozzy at that point, and this is twenty years ago. Like he's clearly a either Parkinson's <laughs> type. Symptoms or
2: yeah, was
0: incredible alcohol abuse, and you guys are making fun of them,
2: like yeah.
0: But I I understand why that type of programming is popular. Like it makes people feel better about themselves.
1: Well, yeah, it's like we're we kind of banned freak shows in our country, and now they're all on TLC and all these other <laughs> networks. And I watched some of them, like uh, yeah.
0: I mean, full disclosure, I jack off to my 600 pound life. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) how can you not? Well, when you're 600 pounds, your bra size is uh, measured in liters. But, uh, uh
2: enjoy it. How dare you?
0: I mean, Brody was supposed to do my podcast the day he, you know, uh, ended his life. Uh, and I, I'm sure his I mean, I met his sister when I was opening for Dr. Ken, so I apologized to her. But the day he passed before it was out there, I called him and like, at least you could do if you're not showing up is call me, you fucking dick. Um, And like an hour later, someone said, hey, Brody. Because I talked to him the night before. I mean, it literally was probably 12 hours before he, you know, took his own life. And I've got a good radar for when someone's in a dark mood or. Whatever, there were no signs, uh, yeah. outwardly that night of, oh, this guy's about, <laughs> you know, do something bad. So, uh,
1: yeah, I I loved Brody. I was protective of Brody. Yes, and even though he was like big and had a big persona and all that stuff, I still saw him as like a little sparrow. And, but again, comics deal with death and horrible shit in a different way. Like I posted on his timeline when I heard that he killed himself. I said, if you didn't do this eight one, in the 818, your whole life is a lie. <laughs> i mean, be, you know, i always say 818 till I die. Enjoy it. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's just how we do it. Like I remember yeah. I was at a, a show where there was a shooting and, uh, someone passed away from the shooting and uh, the improv tweeted out a really beautiful tweet, literally a half hour after uh, the incident saying, Hey, to all LA comics who were there that night, we're here for you. If you need anything, let us know. And two seconds later, me and Benji Aflalo were at Norm's because that's where everyone went after. And we both tweeted, Hey, how about some spots? And, uh, you know, I mean, the guy's body wasn't even cold yet. And me and Benji are asking for stage time. Uh,
1: right. But that's and
0: how we funny. do it.
1: Yeah. It's funny because it's not to be taken seriously. Well, yeah, I mean, but you but you would do the spots though.
0: Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, if you don't think, I don't know what show Brody was doing audience warm up for at the, at the time, uh, you know, but if you don't think 12 comics on Friday, Brody killed himself. I think on a Thursday on that Friday, we're calling whatever show he was on. Hey, we love Brody, but, uh, you guys looking for anyone? Oh yeah. I'm sure Gary Cannon was one of them.
1: (laughs) There was a great old showbiz joke that, uh, some famous actor died or I think killed himself and his agent, uh, that was his agent, and he was like a big money maker. And he called his friend. And he goes, "Did you hear what happened to me today?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: it's so ridiculous. I'm a fan of the show. What's happening? Because I'm old enough to remember it, and it was like a black all in the family. I guess you'd say.
1: Oh, I know what's happening. It,
0: yeah, I mean, it's you yeah. Have to, I mean, I'm 53, so like you know, but the writing on that, especially the first season, was so good, and I felt so bad for Rerun, who was basically a black Ralphie Mae. Uh, every episode, there was at least four jokes about him being a fat slob. And and he had to deliver. Yeah. Um, he used to host an open mic at uh, the Canoga Bowl, uh, ran by Dante from Golden Artist Entertainment, who uh, also repped Ron Jeremy for years. Okay. Um, and Rerun died. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think yeah. a heart attack or something. And I had literally four comics message me asking me, hey, do you know Dante's number rerun died? And that's a hot room. Like they wanted to take over reruns hosting spot. I an open mic. Like he hadn't been dead for 15 minutes.
1: Oh, my God. So yeah, comics are, they're animals. Worse. Like <laughs> I know. For as well-liked as
0: I am, like not my comedy per se, but like me as a person, if I died after this podcast, oh, we love Earl, Hey, does he have any voiceover work that needs filling in?
1: Yeah. Well, dude, I, when I left LA, it's amazing how quickly people forgot about me.
2: Oh, yeah. And again,
1: I gave people, I was in this one, I'm not going to say his name because I want to keep it between us. Sure. I was in this guy's fucking wedding. And he would always, you'll know who I'm talking about because he would always, his outgoing message was always funny. He's like, don't leave any messages for me unless it's business related only. And like really in a funny way. So I, he had too many friends on Facebook when I moved back 10 years ago, but I would call him once in a while and he'd call me, but I would never leave a message because I knew like he was serious about it. So we kind of lost touch because of that. But then I was listening to his podcast. He's blown up. He's done very well for himself. And I'm totally happy for that. But he was talking about uh, how he added somebody on Facebook. I'm like, oh, maybe they changed the restrictions. So I sent him a friend request. He accepted it. And I was going by Dick Williams at the time because I was arguing with people on Facebook. Right. and I wanted to see if they made fun of the name Dick. I could tell, OK, don't deal with them because they're not at the same level. And they're not going to understand what I'm trying to say. Right so i sent him a message about something oh i listened to one of his podcasts and um his mom died the same age or he was the same age when his mom died that i was when my wow. mom died that's one of the things we bonded over And i'm like hey man i just want to let you know that you know that, that fucking hit home again and he acted like he didn't know who i was and so I let a couple of days go by, but it bothered me. And I, so I messaged him again. I'm like, Hey, how things going? And he blew me off again. And so the only thing I could think of was he saw my name was Dick Williams instead of rich Williams. And I said, look, I don't know if you're mad at me. And if you are like, give me a chance to deal with it. Like explain whatever you're mad at me about. And maybe you don't know that it's me. In which case, I'm willing to take that chance. It's going to be horribly embarrassing if you do know that it's me. But, like, you connected me with my cocaine dealer. I lent you money that you never paid me back. I was in your wedding. I put you on TV for the very first time. Like, what happened between us that you're acting like... You don't know me anymore. I don't. I don't remember any riff. And if if you do know it's me, I feel like an idiot. But our friendship is worth it to me to try to make sure. You know what I got back? Well, in the message, one of those big blue Facebook right. thumbs up. I'm like, oh my god. And this is right after Brody died. Right. I was just like, what the fuck. And then somebody said later on that maybe uh, the comics people were writing, but he doesn't seem like that type. So I don't know what the fuck happened, but there's a lot of people that they don't even remember that I was just a person out there, let alone somebody that helped them. And, did all. you know, I don't want people to like me because I helped them out. I want them to like me because we were friends.
0: Right. Well, I think there's very few uh, genuine people in this business. So, once the um, at least through their eyes, your ability to help them ceases, even if it's just temporary, that you're invisible to them.
2: Uh, Yeah,
1: it's like out of sight, out of mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at Adam, you know, uh, the Booker from the or the old Booker from the comedy store, uh, you know, I, I. you know, we are very good friends. His phone blow up uh, 50 messages a day minimum. Uh, and then he leaves to do Rogan's Club in Austin, which hasn't opened yet. And I said, hey, your messages uh, died down. Said, oh, yeah, no one calls me anymore. But now that the rumors that the club is close to opening now, I said, how's your phone now? Oh, it's getting about 20 messages a day now. So, you know.
1: How are people that short-sighted that they wouldn't know to still keep in touch with a booker at least for a year to see if she's still in the business? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's like Emily uh, is the new booker at the store, uh, and you know she's kind of quiet, so uh, you know I think she used to just exclusively book La Jolla, and so yeah. a lot of comics were kind of dismissive to her before she became the main booker because oh you just booked La Jolla. i, I don't want to do La Jolla. Uh, you know and oh i didn't even know you were emily uh, but now she's front and center oh hey emily your hair looks great you know like you wouldn't even spit on me uh six months ago like so but you know, that's,
1: that's the business you know yeah it's just that's the shame about it though like what I really miss about L.A. is going to the improv or even the store and right. just hanging out with the comics. And they had something called Improv Eyes, where they'd like you say hi to somebody and they'd say, oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. good. <laughs> they'd be looking for someone more important than you to speak to. Um, I remember this female comic came in and I'm like, hey, how you doing? She's like, "Did you? I'm great. Did you see i'm in variety today i was like hold on i don't care about that stuff i'm asking you how you're doing as it, like i don't know i just i i'm not good at promotion either i feel weird doing that like you I with your podcast i've never had a website for my stand-up um i can't it's it feels weird promoting myself i mean i just
0: uh I mean, I'm naive. Even 22 years in, I just want to be funny and have people see me at the store or whatever the cartoon and go, "Oh, this guy's funny. Let me follow him." But it it doesn't work. What like cartoon that. are you? I'm on a uh, all black cartoon on Adult Swim called The Jellies. And
2: uh, oh like yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, it's not canceled. It's just that the the creator, his name is Tyler, the creator. He's so successful at what he does that uh, I don't think it's coming back, but um, he's the type of guy that just three or four years later would do another season just because he can. Uh, right. But, you know, I certainly, when I started working in voiceovers, which is harder than stand-up in terms of making it, which yeah, I never, I never thought I would say anything is harder than L.A. stand-up, but voiceovers is just because fewer people do it. Um, There's like
1: four people that have a lock on it. Yeah, and there's like three others. My buddy John DeCrosse, who's a comic, he's done quite a bit of voiceover work.
0: Yeah, there's uh, same thing. It's like I, because my voice is so deep and baritone, I'm literally going up against James Earl Jones, like Darth Vader. Uh, Even I'm like, yeah, the voice. But even I'm like, yeah, he should get this. Um, It's Darth. Yeah. But when I started doing the cartoon, I got people calling me out of the blue. Oh, hey, Earl, great to see you. Uh, hey, uh, do they have any need for a high pitched voice in the jelly? I'm like, I'm sure they do, but you ain't going to find out. Because um, I'm a very loyal person. So, like, you know, like right. you have always been good to me, like for 20 years or however long we've known each other. So I would try and help yeah, you. That's,
1: I tried to help so many people, and I was successful helping people. Um and I didn't want anything returned except not to be treated like they don't know me afterwards. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like that's all like because I know how hard it is to try to make it in this business. Brutal. And so if you uh, a fellow comic, that's how I got most of my gigs. Fellow comics recommending me for TV writing jobs. Um but yeah, one of my big regrets is this is going to sound weird or pandering or gay, but I wish I hung out with you more. But because you're actually like a fucking great guy it's it's so weird to make friends when you're older
0: well i think you're like in my case i'm smarter (laughs) like i can't get any dumber but like (laughs) so i'm more like little things mean a lot more to me now than they did 15 years ago or like when i did that roast with you i think it was uh was it the sam tripoli roast or adam richmond roast
1: i think yeah. it was adam richmond
0: uh, and you know like i back, was like yeah
1: i was appalled that they were roasting somebody that nobody really knew of outside of these bringer shows
0: yeah and comedy club like, shows. yeah yeah you know. hello uh but and it's cold outside. But back then, I just thought, "Oh, this guy's nice." You know, I never thought, oh, I'd like to be friends with him, maybe talk shop with him." But now I'm like, "Oh yeah, I would like to call him up, do a podcast, or just we, you know, we talk on Facebook." You know, I don't know, friend, friend type stuff, I guess. Uh, right. Because that's more important to me now than you know uh, being friends with 50 people who aren't really my friends.
1: Yeah, dude. I miss LA a lot. And I'll tell you why I moved away, but um like the local scene, there's one comic, his name's Quentin Davis. There's another guy, Jim Felter, but Jim is in and out of it. They're my like my only two close friends around here. Wow. Because Quentin, I can we go back and forth on Facebook Messenger all day, just making fun of each other. We have this thing like you fuck bitches that blank. Right. And so like one of them is (laughs) you fuck bitches that have dead batteries in their smoke alarms. Like it's just a funny. Right. Like an improv game. Yeah. Yeah. And he like, he gets it. He's one of the few people that I can say anything to. There's so much censorship in comedy. Now I just did a, a gig in uh there was one black guy there, and I he looked like Carl Weathers, so I told me look oh. like Carl Weathers, and I, I do a joke about how you can't tell a black person they look like other famous black people, and so I I use that to work into it, and then I did another bit. I like I used to do all black shows all the time, or all Latino shows. When I first moved to L.A., I went to an open mic at a place called Smoke and Johnny's, and the MC was like a power hungry dude. And this fat Latino comic went up and started ripping on the room and all this stuff and ripping on the host and the host banned him. He went up and he said, you're permanently banned from here. And I was so outraged. It was like my second day in LA. So I went up and I'm like, yo, that's fucked up. He's a comic. You should be able to say whatever he wants. Ban me too. So they, he banned me (laughs) and that comic and his buddy they're like come to pinks with us you know you're a cool guy it was um felipe esparza and gabriel iglesias gabriel was the one who got banned oh wow So it was me those two guys and cat williams who used to go by cat in the hat cat booked me for the hollywood casino i was the only white person in the fucking building and uh felipe would book me for the 50 dollars spots just outside of la it was all latino there was a stabbing while i was on stage once and i love doing those shows because i make fun of everybody wow black people have a sense of humor they're not our pets or our children that we have to look after um same with latinos uh, all of that like and it it comes from a place of love i grew up in the hood and all like half of my friends were black and they used to make fun of me and i'm like oh shit, I have to learn how to do this because this is like how you fit in. Right. So it was like ball busting. Um, I did that show in Glens Falls. And one of the bits that I do is, uh, hey, you white devils, I got some bad news for you. If somebody calls you a racist now, you're a racist. There's nothing you could say to get out of it. So just accept it, even if you're not a racist. Because there used to be one thing white people would say, I can't be a racist. I have, have a lot of and then the audience says, black friends. I go, yeah, see, you all know what it is. But if you try to say that shit now, a black person will pop up out of nowhere and go, oh, yeah, I bet you voted for Obama, too. Get the fuck out of here. I go, they've taken that from us. So now, basically, I see no benefit to having black friends. <laughs> <laughs> there were people there that supposedly took that seriously. And they were like, that guy was racist. I'm like, are you fucking out of your mind? That, that like the funny thing is that anybody would think to have black friends just as a cover, and now that it's not a cover, okay, well, I don't want these friends anymore, like what, it's just so fucking crazy to me,
2: and I know. so the,
1: tag to the the tag of the joke is I have white friends who sell weed and they took it literally, and I'm like ah, I can't fucking I can't do just white shows anymore it's it's bad, I mean it's.
0: Cause we grew up with like all in the family, you know,
2: yeah.
0: you know, what's happening was a pretty edgy show early uh, on. Uh, I mean, my favorite TV show of all time is the white shadow, which um, I don't think you could do that show today with the, the topics that they covered, you know, and you know, nowadays you get like, I don't know, the, the neighborhood with Cedric, the entertainer, which is considered edgy. <laughs> like I don't know. about yeah, that.
1: It's- The thing that's crazy about it is it's such a small minority of people that complain about this stuff. Um, People from my generation, you may have felt like this at one time. I wanted to be black when I was in high school. Oh, I did. Predominantly black high school. Yeah. I had hammer pants. I was in a breakdancing contest. Like, it's just so crazy to me that we have people that have made everything about race. Everything about sex and gender and all of this other stuff, and it ruins it for everybody else because they'll boycott, they'll get somebody canceled. When living my life, I live in Schenectady, New York, my hometown. There's everybody gets along for the most part. People don't give a fuck about that stuff. But they do when it's when you can tweet about
0: it. Well, I think there's no consequence on online. You can say whatever you want. And, you know, you can send out a tweet that's pretty nasty and be in your underwear and just, you know, uh, whereas back when I was a starting comic and, and even before that, when I would just go to comedy shows, you know, the consequence was you had to say it to someone's face. Right. You know, so if you had a joke with the N word in it, you couldn't just tweet it out or whatever. You had to say that word and deal with the consequences.
1: Right. And that's something, and I might be hypocritical for it, but I never use that word in a joke because that one seemed like it was a bit too far. And also there's consequences to like the way it was handled back in the day. If you were white saying that they'd be, they'd beat your ass. That's, that's it. They wouldn't try to ruin your career. You'd get a fucking lumping, Right. They mollywocked you. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it's caused so much division, and you can't talk about certain things. And I'm pushing back on it. I don't have any, like, reach, but I'm starting a, a YouTube channel. So I realized there's people making, like, Tim Dillon's making $190,000 a month. To oh, on. yeah, on Patreon. Uh, I never even heard of him before.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, I hadn't either. Uh, you know, I've had to follow him a few times at the store. Nice guy. Um, yeah but, you know, but oh, he it, seems super but, nice. Yeah. I mean, it, but it kind of goes back to, you know, like I don't have an agent or a manager, so everything I've gotten has been just through luck at the comedy store. And, uh, but he's another example of, uh, you don't almost need a manager or an agent. He's, I'm sure now he has several, but, uh, right. initially you know, so it's a weird uh, dynamic of like when I had Barry Katz on saying, hey, what would you have done for me? And I think every comic, male or female, needs an advocate. I don't know. Yeah. You know, because like with Roast Battle, if I would have had an advocate, I wouldn't be talking about the show anymore because I'd be, hey, I had a good run.
1: Uh, right. Um, I think especially for people that like you and I, we don't advocate for ourselves except to be like all right, fuck off, I'm out of here.
0: Yeah, I mean, but now you, like, if I don't advocate for myself, no one is, because, I mean, no. you know, it, it's not a business that uh, tends to want to help older white dudes. Like, we're in the no. worst category you can be at.
2: Uh, <laughs> you know,
1: when George, the George Floyd shit happened and all the BM, BLM protests and riots and everything, I, I put on Facebook, if you're a white, male, straight comic, find another line of work if you're not famous already. It's a wrap. And I mean, it, pretty much.
2: But, so, you know, uh,
0: someone like a Tim Dillon has inspired both you and me of going, okay, well, maybe I'm not dead yet.
1: You know. Uh, he's, he's gay, so he gets a little pass.
0: Well, I mean, I, I'm willing to learn. Um <laughs> Call up that casting director. Yeah, well he's How dead. are your balls? Are they still sore? I mean that's dead. Cool. Well, yeah. Well, I gave him a second chance too, as a f- quick follow-up. So I thought, this is how naive I was back in the early two thousands. I thought, okay, I'm gonna give him one more shot. Now he knows I'm not gonna do whatever he wanted. So I call him up, hey, let's have lunch. He's like, Well, how about dinner? I'm like, I'd rather it be lunch. He's like, Come to yeah. my house. I'm like, as long as it's in the daytime. Uh, so I go over to his house and, uh, he's, he's giving me a bravo. Oh, you're great, funny, great stage presence. And I, out of the corner of my eye, I see this beautiful honey wagon trailer in the driveway. I'm like, wow, who gave you that man? And he's like, Oh, the gave it to me for X files. I'm like, can I go check it out? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but you got to stay here. So I go in there and it's so stupid looking back going, hey, You know, when you hear a victim tell their story, you're like, come on, man. How dumb are you? But I get it. So I go in this honey wagon. It's beautiful, man. It's like a king size bed, marble shower. I mean, it's nicer than most comics homes. And I'm looking under the bed for whatever reason. And all of a sudden, I hear the door open. And I turn around, and he's grabbing his weenie. And I'm like, hey, man, where's Brittany Murphy? And
1: uh, <laughs> they're in the honey wagon next door with Mike yeah. Judge. So
0: uh, I never saw him again after that. But that's, you know, that was my Well, here's
1: year. one of the things that, that, and you telling that second story, like people would be like, why would not you go back? And this is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that I never wanted to make money off of comics I never wanted to use any of like any what little power I had to fuck female comics to manipulate somebody using their dreams is one of the worst things I think you can do. Oh yeah. And because it's such a strong draw for them. Like this is, this is something they dreamt about since they were a little kid. And now I'm going to put my dick in them. Like that's fucking horrible or I'm going to charge them $800 for a comedy class. Like it's just, and some people probably have pure intentions with the money making things that they do with comics, but it's just not for me. Oh, I see it to this day.
0: Uh, You know, the, the grooming and the manipulation of dangling a little golden carrot in front of a younger, not open micer, but just younger comic. Oh, come open for me on the road. That's cool. Yeah. I'm going to fuck you on the road as well, um, right. or I'll give you some shit low-level writing gig. Uh, right, you're going to speak into my microphone.
1: Yeah, and the the other thing is, like, I want to be fully honest. I also got into stand-up so I can get pussy. I mean, make no mistake yeah. about it. Like, I realize that if I'm funny and if I'm on a stage with lights and I have a microphone, that's going to set me apart from other guys in a bar. So I I definitely did think, I mean, most decisions that straight guys make are are to get women like the kind of car you buy, how you dress, the career you get, all of that type of stuff, whether consciously or subconsciously, there's a drive to procreate, but I never, like, I don't like the idea of the power dynamic. I think that gets like when they were saying Mark Franco not Mark Franco, Jesus, James Franco, um, because he was a famous actor, he was the power dynamic was off with one of his girlfriends. And so he's an abuser. Now he may be an abuser for other shit that he's been accused of, but I'm like, so is he limited to female actresses that make the same amount of money as wow. him? Like, what, what, that doesn't make any sense. That's sometimes there's spoils that go along with being famous. That's why people want to be famous. Like James Franco probably not pulling as much ass as when he became James Franco the actor.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, I think it's an aphrodisiac when the girl yeah. or guy, if you they're gay and they're attracted to you. I mean, you're a good-looking guy, uh, right? You know, it, it, it. You're right. It definitely gives you a, a leg up on your competition. Uh, right,
1: but but the same with being an athlete. Oh, yeah. Like in the NBA, they have to tell the rookies, like, use a condom, tie it up, flush it, and watch it go all the way down. Because, like, I've heard from NBA stars, they're like, yeah, no, they would fish the condoms out of the toilet and try to inseminate themselves. And where they would inseminate themselves and try to get pregnant for child support. It's like that shit happens too. Oh, absolutely.
0: But, you know, these, I think now, well, I mean, 18, 19 year old millionaires, like they're not going to think, but you know, like I try, I'm certainly not putting myself on a NBA player's level, but I don't put myself in situations where I could get in trouble like that, you you know, me either. of course I'm not single, but like, even when I was, I would almost verify and re-verify, okay, what's your deal? Who are you? Why are you up here? you know yeah. how many comics have you porked other than me and like
1: yeah uh, so dude i would i would always try to find that out to because if they fucked a hack i couldn't fuck them yeah or i'd have oh, to see God. their set
0: to see if they were funny um so
1: oh yeah there's but. nothing like trying to promote your girlfriend who's horrible at stand i
0: mean i let a few slip through the cracks but we won't uh yeah, about that but i mean listen we didn't even get into politics man there's going to be a part two to this
1: okay good i want to show you um just one thing Please. again about all the sex stuff is that i was raised we're the same age basically yeah, but, i came up at a time that no means no to the point of if you're mid-stroke you stop and pull out absolutely you hear enough. That's my rule. Like, so there's never any confusion with me. It's like, you don't want to do it. I'm not even going to try to talk you into it. And a lot of times women want to not feel like they're a whore for having sex on the first date or something like that. So I'll say, no, I'm still going to respect you. But I don't do coercion, like none of that stuff. Because, again, I want them to want to have sex with me.
0: Yeah. I mean, mean, I'm
1: I'm sort
2: of like.
0: Yeah, well, in L.A. comedy it is. Uh, it's, but, uh, you know, I'm not powerful enough to have stroke over most people. So I'm pretty sure most yeah. girls I sleep with actually like me. But, uh, you know, I don't think I could offer my fiancé anything in Hollywood that she can't get on her own. Um, so... Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I was raised just... My parents were very strange, uh, with their teachings, but they were amazing. Treat women great. Make them happy. They'll always come back. Uh, my mom was talking sexually and, uh, I won't say they all No, My mom was a strange person. Like she, there was no birds and bees conversation with me. It was like, girl, make a girl happy. They'll always come back. Now I won't say they all came back, but trust me, definitely a few repeaters in my life um Hey-o. hello <laughs> but then uh you know she also said her oh, and this goes to social ethics be nice to everyone because there's always someone with a bigger dick in the room she told me that at 13 <laughs> so like literally i would stare into guys crotches to go oh should i be nice to this guy um and are <laughs> out of control
1: uh it's a pretty bizarre way to measure somebody but
0: She was from Cartersville, Georgia. So, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, That's one of those country sayings. So, what I'm going to do, first of all, ask me why I left LA. Why? Yeah. I mean, because you did
0: kind of just pick up and leave. uh, Yeah. Which not many people do. I mean, I've seen it with a few people go to Austin. They just said, I'm going to follow Rogan. Fuck it.
1: Uh, Why did you leave LA? Uh, The last gig i was working on i was writing for eliza schlesinger and i was roommates with april macy why would i leave i don't know <laughs> um that was a part of it but no i got a weird balance disorder uh i got the flu and knocked out all the balance in my left ear right so for a few years i was writing on tv shows but taking naps underneath my cubicle when i'd get too dizzy so my extended family's here in schenectady where i grew up I'm like, I'll move there, I'll buy a big fucking house, which I did for ninety-seven thousand. It's a built in 1986 or no, no, no 1896. Oh. Um, Dutch colonial. This is the basement. I love it. Oh, it's great. And uh, but it's boring out here. But yeah, I'm disabled because of this neurological condition called disembarkment syndrome. It's like and when people go on a cruise ship, they right. come off, they feel like they're still on the boat. So it was that it was horrible for like I saw 30 doctors. And until I finally got in this um, research study, they didn't know what was wrong with me. And it's a permanent, uh,
0: you know, disability.
1: Yeah. There's no cure for it. I take Klonopin, which helps it. Right. Now I'm in this weird state of like, I know I have one more in me. Right. I've done crazy stuff in my life things that nobody ever thought would be possible. Um, But now when I'm like starting to, okay, I want to do this this pod, not a podcast, but a YouTube channel. Right. Like the whole thing has changed. Like people could just cancel you. And I just want to be funny. I want to make people people laugh at stuff that we all know is funny, but people don't want to say out loud. So I figured out a way around it and I'll show you, give me two seconds, please. Um, Because I always used to joke that if I was a... But part of it was true. If I was a black comic, I'd be famous by now. Um, Because you could say a lot more shit and get away with it. And that's like my cultural reference from how I grew up. (laughs) So I can't be a black comic. Um, But the idea is... This guy has to get woke so that he can continue to go to family functions. Right. He's been canceled by his family. Oh, my God. Dude, don't get me, so killed. He's going he's to watch YouTube videos to re-educate himself. So what I was saying when I was watching the YouTube, <laughs> all right, Earl, mistake boy. My family thought I was racist because I like black people too much. Oh my God. Dude. I love them.
2: Yeah. Uh
0: um, well, that's uh that's a very this quick. That's how
1: far I've fallen, Earl.
0: Listen, I've done worse. I used to wear hockey jerseys and yellow pants on stage.
2: <laughs> You're a good one.
0: <laughs> well, you you are too, Williams. I, I-, I
1: support. I support Black Lives
0: Matter, the organization, not the message. Well, I do too, especially during my fantasy <laughs> football draft.
1: Hello. <laughs> so yeah, I, dude, I've been going crazy. I'm trying to get this thing off now. I've been going crazy trying to figure out like how to break the algorithm. I have a fucking cat mask. I'm like, I'm gonna do cat, a cat reacting to cat videos. I'm like. It should just be myself, but
0: I, I mean that. the algorithms on like Instagram and YouTube and uh, TikTok, especially uh, they they change so much. But uh, yeah, I think a lot is just uh, the consistency. Uh, that's why I don't have a great YouTube presence. I'll, I'll maybe put out four videos a year, and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> That's my outfit. Uh, or, uh, you know, like my fiance has, I think, 300,000 followers on TikTok, but she has, she's so prolific when she's in between like writing jobs or whatever. She has 600 fully edited videos in her draft folder. So she can just release. She's her proficiency, at, uh, and they're all edited with music cuts that like are you know picture perfect uh to the music um me i i'll see something funny on tv and i'll just screen grab the tv and it's the, the audio's horrible and uh so i think with youtube it's the same of uh, the quality of the video and, and the consistency and then you somehow you get in like when i watch an 80s metal video one time the next time i log on to youtube there's like 50 suggestions to listen to Rat twisted sister just cuz i watched that one video so you got to hope to get into that right column so if yeah someone listens to 10 dillon show and then somehow your show gets listed like similar show you know it's, it's it's yeah all uh you know part of the new way of uh how the internet can help
1: a comic i guess yeah it's wonderful and it's bad at the same time That somebody could just take it away. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's look at, I I had several friends of mine who were Vine and Periscope stars. I mean, they were getting like $10,000. If you wanted them in one of your Vine or Periscope videos, you had to pay them $10,000. And, you know, then TikTok came out and those Vine and Periscope people were wasted. Like, so there's something that's, Gonna be some eighteen-year-old kid with acne in Steubenville, Ohio, is coming up with the new TikTok, whatever it's gonna be. You know, so it's Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, it really is. I mean, even uh, Instagram Reels is kind of biting a little bit into TikTok's action. Uh, not,
1: yeah, they're paying TikTokers to
2: come over.
0: Yeah, and uh, so it, it's. I think the key is trying to stay ahead of the curve by one month. You know, so yeah. like Tim Dillon's on Patreon, but right. I guarantee you in under a year, maybe two years, there'll be some that will be more lucrative than Patreon for Tim Dillon. Hopefully you and me to be on. and Yeah. You know, it, it's just keeping up with the technology. Of, you know, it's like, look at my first cell phone, looked like a fucking typewriter, you know? Yeah. Now it's, you know, a smartphone that I could watch porn on. Yes, it's crazy. uh, You know, I can only imagine in the social media uh, realm what five years from now what Instagram will be like, or whatever replaces Instagram. So, no whites. Well, I mean that's the way (laughs) I like it, Earl. I mean the whole building's black. How am I supposed to concentrate? (laughs) <laughs> uh, now there's rumors at the comedy store there's rumors and i think i feel i can let this rumor out that uh the 50-year anniversary is coming up and i've heard from several people that tommy may come back for one night only and work the cover booth i don't know if that's true or not but uh he was a controversial figure in the world in like the history of the comedy
1: store well, that's the thing. Like, as I didn't like him because I had bad experiences with him. And then I heard right. other stuff. But one of the things that used to be great about America is redemption. Like somebody overcomes their past. We used to love that in this country. Now it's like, no, you have to go away from to Mars or to an island. You're done forever. That's like the, Yeah, no, I agree.
0: I mean, uh, uh, shit, people basically have forgiven O.J. for killing two people. Uh, um, I think in Tommy's case, it would be tough just because he pissed off, as you know, uh, literally hundreds of comics, Uh, big names and small. I mean, I was there the night he told Rob Schneider to come during Potluck. Potluck. Now, whether you like Rob Schneider or not, the guy's a star on several fronts. TV, movies, uh, you know, uh, stand up, uh, you know, he put his name on the marquee. It's a sold out room. So right. uh, it, it took a long time for Adam to convince Rob to come back and hey, it's run differently. And and, yeah. and, and there's comics like, I won't say, uh, I mean, you're higher above the on the food chain than I am, but like comics like me who he jerked around, comics like you jerked around, yeah. you know, so... It would be an incredible redemption story if he came back, even for just one night. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Especially given his uh, accounting methods at the end of the night were uh, interesting to say the least.
1: Yeah. See, I don't remember all the different stuff he was involved in. Let's just just say the,
0: uh, Uh, the receipts didn't match the audit numbers in the room, but let's just say that. Uh, Is he a trust fund guy? Well, that's the funny thing is he was, is. Yeah. But yet he drove like the shittiest car that he had to start for like 10 minutes to get it functional. Um, And his uh, outfit was a wife beater and and the same black pants that I think Lemmy from Motorhead gave him. So, uh,
1: yeah, he was stuck in a time warp. He looked like he
0: should be roller skating in that booth. (laughs) You'd think we would have gotten along given the time warp that he was in. Like yeah. he booked David Lee Roth in like Tampa. So like, uh, but, uh, yeah. you know, he's an entire anyone who has any history at the comedy store has a Tommy story. Um, yeah. and some of these stories sound like you're recording a rap record, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Rich, where can people find you on social media?
1: Uh, Rich Williams on Facebook. That's all like I have an Instagram that I use cause I, I resell clothes and other stuff on eBay. Right. So I do to like keep my mind active. Um, but yeah, just Rich Williams on, uh, Facebook. And I have Ennis Cantor as my cover photo, <laughs> Ennis Cantor Freedom. And I think I have like a mustache and a small beard in my profile. I'll probably change it. Like, I never jumped from Facebook. I know it's for old people now, I guess, but, um, yeah, I'll be on YouTube eventually. Well,
0: let me know and I'll, I'll get the fans to know what the YouTube, uh, channel is and get you some views. And, uh, uh, we'll definitely have a part two where we talk politics.
2: Uh, Oh,
1: I'd love to. Absolutely. And here's the, here's the best thing that happened about me as far as comedy since moving home I was in a relationship that ended poorly and comedy like saved me. It brought me out of a funk. I just started going to open mics, the few that they had at the time around here. And it was like 2014, 2015. And I would literally just go up and say whatever I thought of on the drive over there. And it became so freeing. That's why like with this YouTube channel, whatever it winds up becoming, I, I don't care if it's successful. Of course I want it to be successful, I just want to make stuff again, yeah. And people don't like it, they don't have to watch it. Well, yeah, people take it from me.
0: I do think that uh, not everyone's going to think you're funny, so like, I try well, yeah, well,
1: you know, like, (laughs) that's what Brody used to say if you don't get it, you're wrong.
0: I mean, Brody was like, I mean. I I mean, from like that first experience at the comedy store, you know, I thought, this guy's a dick. So growing up to love him, really, like the brother, uh, you know, he was like, it's hard to describe him to people who don't know him. Like, you're going to think, "Okay, how good was this guy really, guys? But he was just... it was like the kiss of comics, man. It's like there's no one like him. Like there's just no way to describe him to to you know, and but then I hope people don't get their first viewing of him by watching Enjoy It on HBO Max just because it, it'll be a sad intro.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, but well, he
1: he was as close to that quote in To Kill a Mockingbird, um you don't want to kill a mockingbird because all they do is want to sing and bring joy to people.
0: Yeah. I mean, like
1: he really was a great person.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's very few people in, in I don't know about New York comedy or other areas, but uh, like maybe Brian Holtzman, uh, who is was uh, yeah. very Brody like, uh, who has a special coming out, Bill Burr produced it. So uh, nice. it's, you know, we talk about older white male comics not having much of a shot in the future. But, you know, right. Holzman's breaking that stereotype, uh, hopefully for you and me. <laughs> but... Uh,
1: yeah, but- and I, I don't have any, like, delusions. Of, I'm satisfied with my life right now. Not 100%, but... Um, again, I've done so many amazing things in my life. I'm not, like, retired. I'm still funny. Um, but I just want to do shit because I enjoy it. There's no pressure anymore. Right. Well, part two, uh, I'll do it
0: next week if you'd like. I'm Uh, down. I'm uh, totally down. All right. Next Thursday, part two with me and Rich. We'll break down uh, politics because me and Rich had a nice discussion uh, on Messenger about uh, mainly California politics, but it it probably could. uh, could have been nationwide given what we were talking about. So, uh, oh, yeah. next week, we're going to turn the Inappropriate Earl podcast into like a hipper version of Crossfire with uh, Pat Buchanan and Tucker Carlson in his bow tie days. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Rich, we'll talk next week. Um, this has been Inappropriate Earl on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Rich Williams is one of the good people in this business. So, uh, I know he's not on social media a lot, but go to his Facebook page, uh, trust me, he'll add you. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I can't speak highly enough of him to my fans. Uh, and you guys know, I don't vouch for very many people, uh, especially white guys my age, cause it's a tough business. I can't have you guys jumping my ship okay. to get riches, but, exactly. uh, Rich, will talk. Hey, I love to you. you, Earl. Dude, I love I you. I really dude. appreciate this. And I mean, it's, I, uh. It, it's uh i you know 22 years of comedy i i being older now like we talked about you, you really learn to appreciate the good people in the industry because uh although my intro was a little over the top you know with the pit bulls and vipers and sexual predators that we all know like <laughs> you know i i did mean it like when you meet a good person you want to keep in touch with them and your dog's barking so that was that your dog or the neighbor's dog yeah. next door?
1: I have three upstairs I rescued a 13 and a half year old a 9 year old and I got a little chihuahua as well
0: dogs are the best i mean uh, yeah uh, I don't want to be like Bob Barker, but uh, don't buy from pet stores. Spay and to your pets. Bob Barker was out of control on that show. They should have spayed him, dude. Jesus Christ! Yeah, he would have fit in an L.A. comedy like this. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't run uh, uh, that. Uh, what's that uh, place on Third and Vine? Uh, uh, what's that bar that did this, the good the bar show? Uh, Third and Vine, uh, Three of Clubs. I think Bob Barker. Oh, yeah. He, he ran three of clubs on the DL. Uh, yeah, I'll
1: give you two extra minutes if you uh,
0: yeah. touch these bruised nuts. Just meet my friend, uh, TK and Mark Franco in the back. We can get into that. I was TK's roommate for six years. Oh, well, oh, Joey Diaz told me a great story. We'll save it for next week. But I, I had no idea. And I know, you know, the podcast should end when we're bringing up TK stories. But, uh... <laughs> Actually, I'll say this story for next week. Joey Diaz I'll me a great comedy store TK uh, mm-hmm. joke. But uh, this will be out, guys, uh, within a few hours. Rich Williams, follow him on Facebook. I'm sure there's tons of Rich Williams on Facebook. Do, yeah. it, do you pop up in the feed or
1: up top? I think so. Okay. Um, we're mutual friends on Facebook, so. Well, what's the picture again? So when people Facebook Rich Williams... But this is gonna be up for like decades, so now I can't change it. um I'll show you it's a picture of me Hold on this is what it looks like. okay right.
0: yeah. okay Jesus, you look like a uh UFC one contestant um
1: yeah i'm I'm
0: old school man. I love it yeah. uh, so Just going to
2: hey, York.
1: Dreamboat I, uh, I talk about a lot of stuff.
0: You're either at your house or Michael Vick's warm up bullpen. uh, (laughs) Take care of those dogs. We'll talk next Thursday. We're going to talk politics, TK stories, and maybe we'll out a few comics in the closet just to shake it up a bit. Love that. Rich, I'll see you later, brother. Love you, man. Bye bye.